Hi, this is Dr. Jonathan Vorce's daughter, Nikki, from Lakewood Family Church. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, helps you, and uplifts you. We're here to win the lost, to train disciples, and to make Jesus famous. Hope you enjoy the message today. Proverbs chapter 3. God's good, isn't he? Amen. I want to talk to you today about the posture of faith. Standing and trusting God. Standing and believing God. Being at peace with the being at peace with the scriptures. Standing strong in the word. So we're going to talk about the posture of faith today. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning of verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Verse 7, Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Verse 8, It shall be health to thy navel, and morrow to thy bones. I want to talk to you a little bit about trusting God. I want to talk to you about having this posture of faith. You know, we're living in a season, and I just want to kind of lay the foundation this way. We're living in a season, especially here in Western culture, in our nation, and I say that because we live stream the second service, and it goes all over the world, and they actually record it and put it on television over in uh, some 72 nations over in the Middle East. So I'm talking right now when I say this season, I'm talking about here in America especially. We're living in a season in our country here in America where it seems like if you stand for morality that you're the enemy. If you stand up for what the Word of God says, you're the enemy. You know what I heard this week? Stupidest thing. You know what I heard this week? You say, well, Pastor, that's not very politically correct. Well, sometimes biblically correct isn't politically correct. And when I get up here, I'm not too worried about being politically correct. Kobish? Okay. So, I heard that there's a group... That's just looking for attention, in my opinion, something else to throw a temper tantrum in the streets over, that wants to take the name mother away from the mothers and just call her birthing parent. Stupid. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) If it's not the mother who births it, it, the dad can't birth the thing. It's not like the dad can birth a thing. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to get rid of vernacular in the Word. Because the word mother's... What about the mother of Jesus? Huh? They're trying to get rid of the word mother. They're trying to get rid of the word father. They're all of these kinds of... And... So when you stand for morality, when you stand for what the Word of God says, when you stand up for the morals of God's Word, and you actually take a stand, like when they uh, overturn Roe v. Wade and and send it back to the states, and, and the Christians are, yes, and we're rejoicing. And they're saying, oh, don't worry about that. You don't want to be offensive. Well, you offend me. Hmm? Saw a cartoon the other day. This is, disclaimer, this is not going to be a politically correct message. I might get in trouble for some of the things I'm going to preach today, okay? All right. I saw a cartoon the other day that had a a person dressed up in drag and had a big old sign that said pride where they're trying, you know, to steal the rainbow, you know, the promise of God that he would never flood the earth again. 
and this person has a megaphone and they're shouting. It's a cartoon and they're shouting in the hands of a little preacher that's just handing them a Bible and they're saying, get out of my space. You're imposing upon me. You make me uncomfortable. Well, what about that little, don't we have just as much right as a Christian to express our beliefs as anyone else does? Okay, like I said, this is not going to be a politically correct message, so I'm going to get ready for this. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. In the day and age in which we live, we're going to have to start taking a stand. Our nation is in the situation that it's in because Christians have kept their mouths shut too long and they've sat on their blessed assurance instead of standing up and letting their voices be heard. There are significant things that took place just in last week alone. Hallelujah. Not only was Roe v. Wade uh, uh, overturned, but we, but we had, uh, you know, uh, thank God the Second Amendment was protected again. Huh? We thank the Lord for that, don't we? We thank the Lord for that. So the point that I'm trying to make is when we stand up for what's right, and as time goes on, when we stand up for, for what's right, and I'm not telling you vote Democrat. I'm not telling you vote Republican. I don't ever do that. I just tell you vote the Bible. Because if you vote the Bible, you're going to vote right. If you don't vote the Bible, you're going to vote wrong. This nation was founded on Christian Judeo principles. People can try to rewrite history all that they want. They can try to change all that they want, but it's not going to change the fact that this nation was founded on Christian Judeo principles. So when we stand up for the very things that this nation was founded upon, when we stand up for those things, then we're going to, hit, we're going to have some blowback. There's going to be people that's going to call us racist. There's going to be people that's going to call us misogynist. I mean, you get up today and you preach that the man is the head of the house and the woman is the helpmate for the man and that they're equal, but they both have different, they both have different roles in the family. You preach that and all of a sudden you're a male chauvinist. Well, it's what the Word of God says. The Word of God teaches that. And so we teach it because it's what the Word of God says. You get up and you uh, preach against killing unborn babies and you say, you know, well, what about my rights? Well, what about that unborn baby's right? That is a life. Now, let me tell you something. You have the right to be, if you've had an abortion, you have the right to be loved. You have the right to be forgiven. And we love you and we care about you. But I've had people tell me, say, you need to stay away from that gay stuff because I told you it's not going to be politically correct. You need to stay away from that gay stuff because you're just, you know, we need to be a little bit more tolerant. We need to show the love of Jesus. Well, if you're doing something that I know is going to put you in hell and I don't say something to you, do I really love you? We don't hate, we don't hate the queers. We just think they're queer. We don't hate them. We love them. We don't embrace what they're doing. There might be some things, there might be some things that you do that, that we don't embrace either, but it doesn't mean that I don't love you. Your kid may do something that you don't agree with, but you love them, right? Are you going to keep your mouth shut and not talk to your kid about it? You're going to talk to your kid about it. Why? Because you love them. Because you love them. I want to tell you something. Jesus loves lost people everywhere. He loves them. He loves them. And one of, one of, the, 
One of the ways that he loved them was he gave his life for them. Now, uh, he doesn't love them enough to leave them alone and let them go to hell. He cares about them. So the reason I'm kind of talking like this in the very beginning here is because I want to kind of get this foundation laid here. I want you to go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7 because I'm talking about us raising our voices today. I'm talking about having a posture of faith and raising our voices. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7 says this. This was Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He said, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now that's a powerful scripture right there, isn't it? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now I want you to go with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now while you're going there, I want to kind of preface what I'm getting ready to share with you by saying this. You know, uh, the... The books of the Bible were not divided into chapters and verses when they were written. They were epistles. Tim, this was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, who's the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so in the beginning of the letter, just, just figure we're going to take out the chapters and the verses, and this is just a letter. So at the beginning of the letter, he told him, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Toward, uh, toward probably three-quarters of the way through the letter, we find this in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Verse 6, he said, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So you need to understand that when he was talking to Timothy in the beginning of this letter, he was encouraging him to stir up the gift of God that was in him by the laying on of hands. Read that in the first six verses there of chapter 1. He said, stir up that gift that was put upon you when I laid my hands upon you. This gift of faith, which I saw in your mother and your grandmother Lois. Stir that gift up. And then he goes on and he tells him, God's not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And then later on in the letter, he starts talking about things that he was going to face. Well, the reason he told him God, God's not giving you the spirit of fear is because the gift that was going to be stirred up in him was a gift that was going to cry out against things like this, which would turn into persecution towards Timothy and towards the church at Ephesus. And so he was telling him, now let's read it like this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Remember, Timothy, that God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Remember that when the perilous times come. He said, men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, and disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy. Remember, Timothy, when you're raising your voice against these things, remember God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. 
People that are doing good things, people are going to despise. Remember, Timothy, when you're facing these things, when you're fighting against these things, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Are you seeing this pattern here? You, you see, he was letting him know at the beginning of the letter, letter there's some things that's getting ready to come down the pike because the devil stirred up and he doesn't like what's going on. He doesn't like this message of the gospel of the grace of God. He doesn't like the fact that Calvary covered all of our sins. He doesn't like the fact that Jesus really was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And he sure enough don't like the fact that we're preaching it and demonstrating the power because our, our speech and our preaching is not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but it's in the power and the demonstration of the Spirit. So, so here we are. So here we are. You're going to be crying out against these things and these things are going to be facing you and these are the things that you're going to, be, have, to, you're going to have to address during your lifetime and in your ministry and remember when you face them and the persecution comes, God has not given you the spirit of fear but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So then we go on and the Bible said, heady, high-minded lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Oh, Jesus. Pastor, don't go there. I didn't. The Word did. I didn't. The Word did. The Word says, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. And then the Bible said, these folks have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, the Bible said, from such, turn away. So here's what happens. When you say, you know, I cannot embrace uh, people that are covetous. I cannot embrace the proud and the blasphemers. I cannot embrace, you know, what's going on with people being disobedient to parents. And, and, and I can't embrace those that are uh, people that have without natural affection. So I can't embrace what they're doing in that community. I can't embrace those things. Well, the Word of God tells us that we, but these people may have a form of godliness. So that means they may come to church, they may raise their hands, they may shout and dance, they may worship, they may run to the altar, they may cry crocodile tears that look like repentance, but when they walk out the door, it's just been hypocrisy. So the Word of God tells us, from such, turn away. Now you're not turning away from people, you're turning away from the spirit thereof. So we don't have to embrace what someone, a person, let me put it like this. We don't have to embrace a sinful lifestyle in order to love the lost enough to share the message of the gospel with them. If I'm out here and I'm talking to someone that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't mean I'm embracing what they're doing. It means I love them enough to be like Jesus. The Bible said that he ate with publicans and sinners, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees sat over in the corner, and they snickered, and they said, well, look at him. He's eating with publicans and sinners, and you heard it last week, and he's, he, he's eating with unwashed hands. Huh? 
So it's a, a nasty spirit. It's a religious spirit. It's a critical spirit. It's a fault-finding spirit that has invaded God's church that finds fault with anybody that has the audacity to grow a backbone and stand up in the face of sin and raise the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ and say, here is where I stand. So when he said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That means when you're facing all of this stuff, you got to trust God. Amen. You can't take a stand for God and not attract the ire of the devil. The devil hates Jesus. The devil hates the gospel and the devil hates Christians. The devil is not out there in the world. He's got them where he wants them. The devil comes to church. What do you mean by that? Well, most of the time he manifests in the choir. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> but have you ever seen such fighting as you do sometimes on worship teams? That's where the devil fights. Have you ever seen such fighting as you do with people that are in the pulpit have that, that have the responsibility that I do to stand in the pulpit and to declare the blood-stained banner of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel? The devil fights us all the time. He's not going to fight those who won't preach anything. He's not going to fight those who won't take a stand. But he'll, but he'll fight. He fights us all of the time. He fights us all of the time. You just remember, if you're being fought by the devil, that the devil only attacks credible threats. Just remember that. Just remember that. And stand strong in the Lord. Now, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. So in the midst of all of this, I'm going to trust the Lord. When I'm standing strong, I'm not going to let the spirit of fear come upon me because God has not given me the spirit of fear, but God has given me the spirit of love and of a sound mind. And then the second thing in the posture of faith, faith is not only only do we need to trust God, but we also need to be at peace. Listen, it's okay for everything to be okay. It's okay for you to get up in the morning and, and have a peaceful morning. It's okay for you to have a peaceful day. You know, we don't, um, we're, as a pastoral family, my family that pastors, we, are, we have a no drama policy. Why? Because we're allergic to drama. <laughs> you bring your mess and try to interject into our family circle and you bring a bunch of drama, you're going to get pushed out of that circle. We can fight as much as we want to. In this circle, it's our circle. Hmm? If I'm ever at odds with Mama D, and that happens occasionally, not near as much as it used to. It's usually over in about five minutes now. That's when I realize I'm wrong and she's always right. <laughs> but 
if we're ever at odds, don't you dare stick your nose in where it belongs. You just let us work it out. Hmm? Nikki and Susie have been hitched since the womb. They're twins. They finish each other's sentences. And they fight sometimes. And if you see them fighting or you hear them fighting, leave them alone. They'll work it out. Because I want to tell you something. I've witnessed it more than once. They can be at each other, boy. You stick your nose in there, all of a sudden, they're no longer at each other. They're at you. You're gone. Mind your own business. Keep your nose out. This is our circle. I'm going to tell you something. It does all good to mind our own business, wouldn't it? Do us all good. I like peace. It's okay, you know, it's okay to have peace. It's okay for everything to be okay. It's okay to have more month than or money than month. That's okay. You know what that means? That means you paid your bills and you still got money to take, take mama out for a nice steak dinner. There's nothing wrong with that. That's okay, and that's wonderful, and that's great. It's okay to have peace. Here's what the Word says, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. Verse 7 is the promise. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now, how does the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, come? How does that come? That comes through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, letting your request be made known unto God. And I've had people come to me and they've said, well, what about this and what about that and what about this? I said, have you asked God about it? Just look at them and say, have you asked God about it? Have you prayed about it? Have you addressed this with God? Have you talked to the Lord about it? And, and, and you know, sometimes they're like a calf looking at a new gate. They have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. They're like, what in the world are you talking about? Talk to God about this? Well, what does the Word say? How does peace come? Does peace, here, here's what it says, okay? Here's what it says. Be careful for nothing but in everything uh, through prayer, supplication, and going and complaining and griping to your friends and your pastor and all of those and, you know, let all those requests be made known to God and everybody else. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. Can I get real? Okay, I'm, I'm on, I, I might get my feet stepped on here, so I'm going to go ahead and put, them, put my shoes back on. Okay, listen, uh, your family's mess is not... Was, it, it, <laughs> The situation that you are in was not made for social media. Quit running all your problems up the flagpole of Facebook. Stop it. Stop it. Come on now. Come on now. The Bible said let your requests be made known to God, not your Facebook community, not your Instagram community, not your Snapchat community, not, you know, not your TikTok community. The Word of God says let your requests be made known unto God. And then the Bible said the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus. Then the Word of God tells us when it says to be careful for nothing, that word is translated also to be anxious for nothing. I don't have to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. One of the greatest weapons that you have against fear is to just not be anxious for anything. If I've really turned everything over to the Lord, then I'm not going to be anxious about it. 
It's only when I go back and pick it back up and try to figure it out myself, that's when I get anxious again. I need to turn around and give it back to God and just let the Lord take care of it. Listen, God is big enough to handle your mess. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no, God is big enough to handle it. So turn it over to the Lord. All due respect, quit being like a dog returning to its vomit. That's what that's, that's, that's King James Version. The Bible said it's like sometimes people are like dogs returning to their vomit. You know what? We, we give something to the Lord. You know what the Lord does? He takes care of it. Why would we go grab it, snatch it back out of His hand in the midst of Him working something out for us? So He's working on it, and I can almost see God. He's over here working on this, and He's working, and all of a sudden you just reach up and grab it from Him, and He's like, I was trying to fix that for you, but you won't leave it alone long enough for me to get it tweaked. So be anxious for nothing. we got to turn it over to the Lord. One of the greatest weapons we have against fear is to not be anxious about things. You know, we pray. Praying will help us overcome fear. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Not just a prayer, but the effectual fervent prayer. That word fervent means a hot prayer. That means a passionate prayer. That means a prayer where you are engaged with God. It's not just, you know, just, you know, I, I did something. Something the other day, my kids, I've been teasing them about it. It was actually on June the 2nd, 2022. That's what it was. That's when it was. I bowed my head over my dinner and I said, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this meal here today and every meal I ever consume for the rest of my life. And from now on, all I have to do is say June 2, 222. I lifted my head up and my kids looked at me and said, Really? I'm a dad. I did it for that stare. That was the payoff. And I keep, I keep cashing in on that. I'll bow my head every now and then say, June 2, 2022. And they'll say, Dad, okay, thank you, Lord. God is good. God is great. I'm so hungry. I can't wait. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> But I'm not talking about those kinds of prayers. I'm talking about fervent prayers. I'm talking about hot prayers. I'm talking about passionate prayers. I'm talking about tearing down stronghold prayers. I'm talking about intercessory prayers. I'm talking about dismantling the works of the enemy prayers. That's the kind of prayers that I'm talking about. The Bible said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails, avails much. I've learned a long time ago you can pray your way through. There's a thing that we used to do when I was a kid growing up. We used to call it praying through. How many of you ever, ever heard that term, praying through? When I was a kid, we'd go to church and people would say, well, you just need to pray that through. You just need to pray that through. Well, what that meant was you get down at the altar and you get a hold of the horns of the altar like David did, which means you grab a hold of the altar and you don't get up until it's registered in your spirit that heaven's heard you and the answer is on the way. That's prayed through. That's prayed through. You pray until the victory comes. You pray until the victory manifests. And then not only do we, do we uh, you know, our weapons against fear, not only is prayer one of those weapons, but worship is as well. The Bible said in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 26, that Paul and Silas were bound up in the Philippian jail. And the Bible said they were down there and their hands and their feet was in stocks and bonds. And at midnight, when you and I would have been belly aching and wondering where God was at and all that kind of stuff, the Bible said that they sang praises unto the Lord. 
They're down in the worst part of the prison, hands and feet in stocks and bonds. Their backs have been beaten to smithereens, and it's midnight. Paul looks at Silas and says, what should we do? And Silas says, I don't know what you think we should do. And Paul said, maybe we should sing. <laughs> so Paul's, hmm, he pulled out the old Hammond B3. No. <laughs> Blake, he's not here this morning. We need to pray for him. He's fighting a, a physical battle. But um, anyways, uh, somebody asked him, we were at a camp meeting here a couple of weeks ago, and somebody asked him, they said, what is a Hammond B3 anyway? He said, it's revival in a box. <laughs> right, Ricky? Right, Ricky? Yeah. Ricky plays Hammond B3, yeah. Hammond B3 is a revival in a box. Well, I'm going to tell you something. The Word of God tells us here that at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. And the Bible said the foundations of the prison were shaken and everyone's bands were loosed. Listen, the person sitting beside you, in front of you, behind you, all around you, their freedom may hinge on your praise. What would have happened if Paul and Silas would not have praised the Lord at midnight? Nobody would have gotten set free. But because they have the audacity at the very heat of their battle, at the core of their battle, in the heart of their battle, because they have the audacity to sing and praise, not only were their shackles broken off, but the Bible said that everyone in the prison, their shackles fell off as well. Hallelujah. Some of you guys are so reserved. You're worried about what people's going to think. And the very person that you're worried about could be set free by your praise. Think about that. Don't ever be intimidated to praise God. Don't ever be intimidated to worship the Lord. Don't ever be intimidated to, to just lift your hands and shout and dance and worship God. You say, well, I'm afraid of what people's going to think. I'm afraid people's going to talk. They're already talking. Listen, give them something else to talk about. They're running out of things to talk about you over. They need more content. Give them some more things to talk about. Just go ahead and shout and praise and magnify the Lord. Give Him that praise. And so you can worship your way through. Not only, not only uh, do you pray your way out of anxiety, but you can worship, you worship your way out of it. And then Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible said... That the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints of marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the third way that you can overcome this anxiety is not only through prayer and worship, but you can overcome it by wording it out of you. Just wording it out. The word is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing, now listen very closely, piercing to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. Your soul is the seat of your mind and your will and your emotions and your spirit is your hookup to heaven. So what happens is when God begins to move in your spirit, then your mind and your will and your emotions says, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
But your spirit's like, but, but heaven's pouring anointing out and there's glory coming down right now and, and, and revival's trying to break out and it needs to manifest in your mind and your soul. And, your, and so what happens is the Word of God cuts your emotions off from what, so you can go ahead and receive what you need from God. And then when you begin to shout and dance and praise God, then that is the, that is the fleshly expression of what the Spirit of God is doing. Praise is the outward expression of the inward work of God. Worship is intimacy with God from your heart. The Bible said He sets up His portals where they praise Him, which means where they outwardly express the, the, how they feel about God. So you can praise your way out of a situation. You can worship your way out of a situation. You can pray your way out of a situation. And you can word your way out of a situation. Anxiety don't have any power over me. I'm a praiser. Anxiety don't have any power over me. I'm a prayer. Anxiety doesn't have any power over me. I'm a word person. I don't worry about what the world is going to say. I just respect respond with it is written hallelujah the old evangelistic anointings coming back praise God so the last four things I want to share with you is this we're talking about our posture of faith here so we're going to trust God we're going to be at peace and we're not going to be anxious and the reason is because we know that God is our provider. So, what are we going to do, Pastor? <laughs> what are we going to do? They're saying that we're going to have a food shortage at the end of the year. They're saying gas might get $10. Oh, Pastor, what are we going to do? Who are you? <laughs> Huh? Who do you belong to? What's the Word of God say? I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Well, the Bible said that in the last days it would take a day's wages to buy a loaf of bread. Well, we'll bake our own bread. I got a daughter-in-law. It's a wonder my son hitting 400 pounds. I got a daughter-in-law. Dear God. I called her the other day and I told her, I said, I'm going through Starbucks. I said, and I love their little lemon loaf. I said, but I ordered this lemon loaf and I was looking on the receipt and it was $3.95 for a slice of bread. I said, can you make me a lemon loaf? She said, oh, can I make you a lemon loaf? She made me two. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not worried about inflation. Now, I'm not worried about a recession. You say, well, you're in denial. I'm not in denial. I'm in faith. I'm in faith. Well, what happens if, if gas gets to 10 bucks a gallon? Well, then it just gets to 10 bucks a gallon. No, I'm not going to start walking. I'm going to pull up to the pump and fill my gas up because the Lord's going to provide. The Lord will provide. 
Amen. Amen. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to worry. And if I see a brother or a sister in need, especially in this house, and I can do something to help them, I'm going to do something to help them. Because you're my brother and you're my sister. And we're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to be like a family. You know what I told the kids the other day? I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I told them, I said, what we need to do is find about an acre or something like that and the church buy it and turn that into the Lakewood Community Garden. Now, you're clapping now, but that means you've got to help pull the weeds and you've got to help pull the rocks out and you've got to help work the thing. But when harvest time comes, we have ourselves a big time, couldn't we? Amen. God's our provider. Well, how does He provide? He gives you witty inventions. He gives you ideas. He, he, he lets you know what you should do to mitigate what's coming along. So that's how He provides. You can't just sit in your lazy, lazy boy recliner and say, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm just sitting here waiting for the Lord to provide. <laughs> Can I help you with another scripture? If a man don't work, he ought not to eat. It's what the Word says. He that provides not for his own is worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. We're supposed to, you know, God blesses action. Faith without works is dead, being alone. I'm going to give you a little story real quick. Like I know we're, it's getting late, but this is a faith-building story. Before we moved here, some of you have heard this, but some of you, a lot of, there's a lot of newer people here now, so I want to share this with you because it's a story that needs to be told through the generations. We were in Kentucky. We were living on a 56-acre farm, and um, we had about a, a probably about a third acre, half acre, acre garden, and it was a drought that year. I mean, it was a drought where, uh, and it was the year before we came here to Florida. So it was about like 14 years ago, 15 years ago, something like that. And the drought was so severe that the earth was cracking open, and and cows were getting their hoofs caught and breaking their ankle in there, and farmers were having to kill the cows and butcher the cows. I mean, it was, it was really that dry. The Lord spoke to us to plant a garden, so we planted a garden, and we planted it there beside our house. And we were on a main road where the house was and where the garden was, and people would buzz down that road 55, 60, 65, 70 mile an hour, but when they would get close to our house, they would lock them brakes up and stop and just look. You know why? Because the garden across the street had corn this high. Ours had corn way up here like this. One day I'm walking through that garden and I mean, it, it, it was bountiful. It was producing. I'm talking about in drought. It was bountiful. It was really producing. I mean, we had so much that, that we had so much. We blanched. You know what blanching is? We, we froze and blanched and, and, and canned and all of that kind of stuff. And we ate on, we finally pulled the last green beans out of the freezer about a year and a half after we moved here. That thing produced, and we gave and gave and gave to our church. I mean, and this is drought. I mean, it is major drought. And our garden is just going and going and going. And one day I'm walking through that garden and I'm saying, God, thank you for your blessing. It's like three o'clock in the afternoon. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. I thank you, Lord. You said that that Isaac planted in the year of famine and reaped a hundredfold and we live in the blessing of Abraham and I'm walking in the midst of this blessing right now and I thank you. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, look down. And I looked down, three o'clock in the afternoon, hadn't rained in months, three o'clock in the afternoon and there was a wet spot about this big around every single plant. I mean, we had cucumbers, 
we had tomatoes, we had watermelon, we had corn, we had string beans, we had uh, Roma beans, we had, I mean, you name it, it, it was there. And something got in me and I ran in the house and I got my son and I said, come here. I want to show you the hand of God. And he came out. He said, what, Dad? I said, look, look at this. And Jeremiah, you know, he's in his teens and, uh, and early teens. And so um, we're walking through there. And I said, son, I said, we've wondered about this garden. I said, how can this garden just flourish except for the blessing of God? I said, I want you to look down around every plant. And he looked down around every plant and he saw it too. And he said, Dad, he said, where's that water coming from? And I said, there's only one place it could come from, son. I said, the blessing of Abraham is upon us, just like Isaac planted in the time of famine and received a hundredfold. We planted in the time of famine, and this is proof that the blessing of Abraham, I said, it's not just on me, but it's on you, son. That blessing is on you. It's going to be on your kids, my grandchildren. That blessing is upon your sisters, and it's going to be upon their... I'm telling you, it was a miracle. So you ask me, are you worried about famine? Why would I worry about famine when I've seen God do things like this? Robin Kung was here about three years ago from Myanmar. Myanmar is about... Uh, 97% Buddhist. We have a, a college there with about eight students. They're in their first year. And he was talking, when he was here, he shared the story of how that uh, there was a person that gave their life to Jesus that they'd won to the Lord. When I met Robin, I asked him, I said, what do you do? He said, I plant church, churches in Buddhist villages. That's what he told me. Well, my heart just went... Pfft right to him because I meant that that's man that's kind of talk that you want to get my attention you know and so uh, he was here and he was talking about it and he said this gentleman gave his heart to the Lord and he was a sharecropper and over there they they do rice they have big rice and now I grew up in Missouri and Arkansas and my late teens we lived near Arkansas we go down to Stuttgart Arkansas and they grow rice down there and you have to flood those fields in order for, I mean, it grows rice and it grows big mosquitoes. You could, you could throw a quart jar and catch a gallon full of mosquitoes in a quart jar. I mean, it's, I'm telling you. So anyways, so <laughs> got to have the water. So this landowner found out that this person gave their heart to the Lord and this landowner was a Buddhist. And the landowner said, well, um, I'm not going to let you have access to the wells. So your crop is just going to do, you're going to serve that Jesus? You know, there ain't no way. So he said, you can still work the field, but you can't have no water, so you can't flood it. When it came harvest time, that field produced three or four times as much rice as any other field in that area. And the testimony of God's provision inspired the landowner to give their life to Jesus now. If God, if God can produce rice in a field that's never been flooded, and those of you that are farmers understand that's impossible.
If God can produce rice in a field that's never been flooded, God can take care of you. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't wonder about tomorrow. Trust God. Take care of business. Occupy till He comes. But when you've come to the end of what you can do, don't get anxious. Now it's time for God to step in and show you what He can do. Hallelujah. The posture of faith. Let's all stand. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who helped to give to keep the gospel moving forward. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description or visit jvorse.org for more information. Please share, like, subscribe if you enjoyed our podcast. Take a screenshot and tag us at Lakewood Family Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.